G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. There's going to be some great conferences this year and we'll bring some speakers from those conferences wherever we can. But one that stands out and has been growing from strength to strength each year is the annual Australian Church and State Summit. And this year it'll be the sixth annual Church and State Summit. And again, there'll be a who's who of outstanding speakers who'll share up-to-date insights into the status of Christian faith and influence in the corridors of political power. Well, there's a very explicit theme this year around politics and the kingdom of God and, more specifically, the Lordship of Christ. We're going to talk about what that means today. You might have some thoughts of your own on the Lordship of Christ. And you might have your thoughts whether that's a personal thing or whether that has something to do in our communities or whether it has national influence or international influence. This year's summit is going to be on Friday and Saturday, the 3rd and 4th of March in Brisbane. And as a warm-up, there's actually a church and state event this Saturday. That's right, this Saturday in Coffs Harbour with a focus on the New South Wales state election issues. Dave Pellow is the founder of the Church and State Summits. He's a writer and commentator on all things cultural and political. He's also the founder of the Good Source online channel and the host of Pellow Talk. Dave, a special welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Thank you for having me back again. Dave, it's the sixth annual Church and State Summit and you've been building year on year. Each year seems to get bigger and better than the last. What's coming for this sixth annual Church and State Summit? Well, there's a little bit of, uh, I'm not sure what the right poetic word for this is, uh, but the the symmetry, uh, and it'll come to me later, but um, there's... Uh, the first Church and State Summit was one you actually helped me organise um, because you put me in touch with uh, a friend uh, who I'd never met before or spoken before, and that was the Deputy Prime Minister, John Anderson. He gave me his email address. We reached out, and he agreed to be the keynote speaker, and all of a sudden we had a conference, uh, and 80 people came to that. Uh, So I invited him again this year to reprise his appearance. He's coming back for the second time. Uh, he's going to be a fantastic keynote speaker on the Saturday of the conference. And, and he was shocked and amazed that we're hiring an auditorium for 750 people. Uh, and we're believing in faith to get very close to filling that completely. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a fantastic one this year. Two days starting Friday lunchtime. Um, have your lunch before you come. And we'll get into it at, at 1 p.m. sharp. Friday night, any any unsold seats are going to be free, and we are going to be preaching the good news. And the good news is political, um, and and so there's a context there. So uh, the first off, first cab off the rank Friday night after worship is going to be the very well known and hugely influential on social media Topher Field. Uh, he's going to be preaching first, and then um, there'll be another two sermons after that. Uh, but they're they're all different, all political, all 
hugely different themes, but um, the the focus and the conclusion is the lordship of Jesus, because that will change Australia. Interesting the way you frame the speakers, uh, the first preacher, uh, because oftentimes when we go into a conference, uh, we don't call them preachers. Uh, we call them speakers or keynotes or, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, mm. They're delivering a speech. Yeah. But because this is a church and state summit and because you've got some fabulous people who hold a very deep conviction of their Christian faith, it's as though when they're talking in their political context, uh, this is preaching. And uh, some might say, oh, I'm not sure whether you can align uh, having political conversation with preaching, but, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. seems to be absolutely fine to me. You absolutely can. And and I'm getting, I guess, more relaxed and bolder with this reality. I I would have never wrestled with it, but um, I'm starting to embrace it. Uh, Monday, the Tuesday night, I was invited to be a guest speaker and have an hour of the attention of the local branch of the Liberal Democrat Party. Uh, And some Christians will spit on the name of the Libertarians because they can be sometimes pro-abortion. And I went to them with the invited message. They asked me to talk about how Christianity and politics align. And my message to them was Christ makes politics and people better. Uh, and this is why the libertarian movement can be better libertarians when they become Christians. And for an hour, we explored world history, democracy, freedom, constitutional history, and pointed back to the cross at all times. And we talked a lot about politics and a lot about history, but we also talked about scripture and the lordship of Jesus Christ and the inescapable reality that even if you're not devotionally affectionate about Jesus as Lord, it is intellectually reliable and provable that humility before God will make parliaments and politics and nations better. I think it's on your website where I picked up this summit will be a gathering of Bible-believing Christians to discover and declare that the kingdom of God is where the greatest opportunity for blessing and flourishing is found. That is an element that's left out of political discussion everywhere, and yet it is the key ingredient for a peaceful, harmonious future. There's, there's a lot of deliberate language in that, the first one being Bible-believing Christians, uh, distinguishing from those people who may be affectionate about Jesus but not political about Jesus. Uh, you know, those people who have called Jesus saviour but are yet to cooperate and submit to the inescapable universal lordship of Jesus, that he must not just saturate your private life, but your public life. And that has to spill into the public life of the nation. Uh, there's a lot of Christians who debate and, and equivocate about very clear scriptures, um, and and that's not the type of conference this is. We are preaching the Bible, the Word of God, and confidently saying this is the recipe for success in our nation. And make no mistake, there are a lot of people looking for a silver bullet and a solution that will fix Australia in one or two election cycles, and they are having their hopes dashed against the rocks election after election, uh, when what we need is revival, a national, political, cultural, moral, spiritual revolution. There's two words we tend to group together, and you've touched on something of a differentiation here. Uh, Sometimes we say Jesus is Saviour and Lord, 
And uh, we like to think of that as one status, uh, mm. Saviour and Lord. Uh, but you've touched on something really important here, the thought that sometimes Jesus can be Saviour, but there's almost like an extra step in your maturity in Christ when you come to a point where you recognize Jesus as Lord. And that actually has a deeper and even more substantial meaning than anyone perhaps even can imagine. Even if you say, right. I believe Jesus is my Lord. Well, all of a sudden, what does that mean for the way I think and the way I act? It's very true. And, you know, I speak to some people who I, I feel that the, privilege and the necessity to comfort them that salvation is hard to lose. I don't believe it's impossible, and, and we can have a debate about that, but I, I certainly would argue it's not easy. Uh, and so I will often clarify for people and confirm for them that the Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you confess Jesus is Lord, then you're saved. That's what Scripture says. Um, and, and you can go decades after that decision without living it, um, but you've You've uh, and and discipleship's incredibly important, but there's the distinction: is saviour enough? Um, and and then the the important part to communicate after that is that discipleship is important. Yes, you might be saved, but are you discipled? Uh, and are you confessing Jesus as Lord? It doesn't change anything about your life um, because it's meant to have an impact here and now, and, and that obviously has a parallel in public life. We're meant to bring the kingdom now, and that doesn't mean you know, swords and guns and take over and, and establish an ecclesiocracy. Um, but the another important distinction is that Jesus isn't just my Lord. That's not the confession. The confession is Jesus is Lord, and that's unqualified. It's not my Lord. He's Lord of all, Lord of everyone, Lord of everything, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of Peace, the government is on his shoulders. And so whether or not Anthony Albanese, Penny Wong, Scott Morrison or Dave Pello uh, cooperate with this truth or not, Jesus is each of our lords. And the uh, sensible, wise thing to do is to cooperate with that universal reality here and now, not just when we're forced to later. Isn't it interesting how the name of Jesus can be confronting and uh, we find ourselves exercising our uh, wisdom and uh, what's common sense here and uh, would we actually theme a political conference around the name of Jesus and uh, listeners who can't see because, hey, we're on the radio and perhaps there'll be something of uh, some social media posts a little later that you might be able to get to see. But but Dave Pello is wearing this year's, uh, I guess, Usher's uh, servant shirt. Team T-shirt. A team T-shirt uh, in the studio with us today. And I've got to say, it says, Jesus is Lord and underneath it's got Church and State Summit, and on top of the name of Jesus, it's actually got the uh, the flagpole that you can see when you're looking at that image of Parliament House in Canberra. So uh, there's a lot of thought that's gone into that. It's very intentional. It's not accidental, Correct. and it's not just because you're somehow or other a, a lunatic extremist. Uh, you've got a real intention in saying the Lordship of Christ is the theme for this conference. Yeah, and you know there were people in this libertarian branch meeting on Tuesday night who were hearing me explain in their language uh, why Jesus is Lord, and and they really appreciated it. Their eyes were really opened, and there was very little pushback. 
and you know there were some incredibly sophisticated political thinkers in that room and and if I name dropped you would recognize some of them um, and they said that they were challenged and confronted um, not because of the emphasis or the rhetoric or the lovely charismatic flourishes I, I might have had in my eloquence but because the truth is inescapable profound and confronting that that everything we hold dear about Australia uh, and and even the modern Western world, democratically speaking, is founded upon the foundation of Christianity. And the central theme of Christianity is that Jesus is Lord. And so, you know, it is confronting. And, and what I'm feeling and what the Church and State Summit is going to emphasize across 20 different sessions in two days is is that... It's time for the church universally to embrace, uh, and it's always been time, but I think there's a fresh season of permission and and receptiveness amongst many people um, who are asking questions, existential, metaphysical questions about why, you know, what what is the bigger meaning to everything that's gone on in the last few years? Uh, what else is there? Um, what insanity has led us to hear that that what we thought was robust before, such as the Constitution, wasn't enough. Uh, and there is a permission now to point to the kingdom of God and say, this is the paradigm. And not only that, there's the precedent of the preamble. Uh, Pentecostals love alliterations, I think. But uh, you know, the precedent of the preamble says, humbly relying on the blessings of Almighty God. And that's the only religious affection in all of our constitution is that one clause of devotion to the reality and inescapable lordship of Jesus Christ, humbly relying upon the blessings of Almighty God, the rest of this federation and constitution are built. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson. On Vision Christian Radio. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a thought, a comment, you might have a critique. You might be thinking, what's Christianity got to do with politics? Uh, These guys are in another dimension. Well, 1-800-316-316. We are talking about the Church and State Summit uh, the next one that's coming up on the 3rd and 4th of March in Brisbane uh, each year, the venue just keeps getting bigger and bigger too. Uh, no doubt we'll talk about if there's some tickets available, but check out churchandstate.com.au and find out some details about this year's Church and State Summit. There's also a local, you might call it, Church and State event that's happening this Saturday in Coffs Harbour. So for listeners uh, around the mid and mid-north New South Wales region, uh, descending on Coffs Harbour for that one could be worth your while too, churchandstate.com.au. Before we go any further, uh, Dave Pello, our guest, let's take a call. Haven't heard from Shelby for a while. Hi, Shelby, welcome. Hello, Neil. How are you going, buddy? Um, yeah, mate, love hearing your show. Um, yeah, bring some fantastic stuff here. Um, but uh, the other thing is I've been to several sta- uh, church and states. They are fantastic. For the listeners, if you haven't been, get there. Um, it is um, spiritually uplifting, uh, and there's an awful lot of fantastic stuff that's going on through the church and state. Um, I've enjoyed them. Now, I just wanted to double-check, too. Uh, I got the date, uh, 3 and 4 of March, but um, the actual uh, place where it's going to be this time. Because I've been to so many places with the church and state. 
because yeah, it changes each year. Yes, Dave, your thoughts for Shelby? We have moved around a little bit, uh, growing in size some years. Uh, there was one year we went to a smaller venue because uh, we weren't expecting many people with uh, restrictions that um, were in place. And, and then another year we had to go bush to find a place uh, big enough um, that could hold us uh, and, and still cooperate with restrictions. Uh, but um, this year we are in Eight Mile Plains. Uh, the specific address we don't advertise to uh, protect the venue from protesters, uh, but you'll get that the minute you order a ticket. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, south of Brisbane, um, Eight Mile Plains. Eight Mile Plains. And uh, some might say, oh, that's a bit strange. It's a secret. Uh, but you're not a stranger to some of the controversies that come when you bring a Christian view to some of the issues that we're confronting in Australia. Uh, it's not unusual, Dave, uh, to have protesters turn out and uh, picket lines and uh, shouting yeah. abuse. You've seen this personally. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and, and you know, once bitten, twice shy, there's... Uh uh, prudent, wise things to do, uh, cunning as servant, gentle as doves. Uh, that's uh, the strategy here. So, yeah, we're speaking uh, the uncompromising, unapologetic word of God, and uh, some people are deeply offended by what Jesus has to say uh, about hotly contested issues in modern society. Um, and uh, the venues aren't always as resilient as the people of God are. So it's best to protect them uh, with whatever steps we can. But, yeah, generally speaking, if you're looking for accommodation, travelling, we've got people coming from New Zealand and Perth. Uh, so if you're looking for accommodation, southern Brisbane, around Eight Mile Plains, uh, it'll be a short Uber ride from there. Thank you so much, Shelby, for your call. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Ruth is in Western Australia in Perth. Hi, Ruth. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I've been listening very intently to what you're saying this morning and I have to say I agree with a lot of what you say but my question is, is this in any way um, affiliated with the NAR movement? <laughs> okay, Dave, thoughts here for Ruth? Um the short answer is no. Uh, we could probably get into the topic, but it's probably a bit of a tangent. The short answer is no. Uh, the long answer is um, I've had people who are falsely accused of being in the alleged NAR movement, uh, such as Dr. Michael Brown, um, but those accusations are spurious, baseless, and uh, we believe strictly in the uh, the Word of God. Uh, the the most important thing to understand is that this is a non-denominational event. Uh, this is a non-partisan event and ministry and organization. Uh, and so we actually don't want to get into doctrinal debates uh, about non-essential issues. Uh, what Australia needs is Jesus. What Australia needs is a courageous and outspoken local church and pews full of Christians who will get out of them and into the public square Monday to Saturday, trained, educated, encouraged, and excited to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the important conversations that are being held publicly. Uh, and, and so, you know, the differences between uh, Reformed and Calvinists and Armenians and pre-trib and post-trib and uh, cessationists and Pentecostals and, and, you know, 
is the Pope uh, the best thing since sliced bread or the Antichrist incarnate? You know, all of these debates are really irrelevant to the mission of the Church and State Summit, which is to arm Christians to influence culture. So uh, we're really teaching that unity does not require uniformity. And so if you've got some differences, uh, we ask people to come along, get excited, eat the fish, spit out the bones. Okay, NAR, as I understand, that stands for New Apostolic Reformation, part of a controversy and uh, sometimes you might say an argument between fundamentalists and people who are charismatic. Uh, I'm not sure there's probably a whole lot uh, of depth in that, and there is some... There's also a whole lot of misrepresentation. Misrep- misrep- perhaps on both sides. So as you mm. say, Dave, if you're going to have a Christian event, come with a level of humility because there might be others who are standing with whatever movement, Yeah. but uh, together you can come around, and you come. I'll come back to what you said earlier, a Bible-believing Christian. So coming back to where the Bible sits as a foundation so yep. that you can have something that you can agree with. Yep. And if you're going to argue, at least you can argue over the same and, and let foundation. And me, let me be upfront. I'm inviting at least one speaker this year who will confront and challenge at least 90% of the audience, and he might be wrong. One of the really, really important things is that um, we need to demonstrate to uh, chicken Christians – who are afraid of controversy, that there is a mature and wise way to deal with disagreements in the body of Christ. And this is nothing new since the recording of the New Testament church. They, they showed us how to deal with that. Some of these things should be debated publicly, and some of these things are unconscionable immorality and must be put out of congregation altogether. But uh, this kind of um, differences is not new to the church. It's not controversial. Uh, but we need to uh, figure out how to be mature about it. Uh, Ruth, uh, still got you. Is, does that answer your question there? Uh, certainly, uh, Dave, quick to distance himself from controversy around what is divisive. And uh, I guess if you're talking about being in a spiritual battle, uh, the devil wants to divide. Somehow or other, you've got to be humble enough to overcome some of those differences so that you can uh, talk about things on the same level. Uh, Ruth, does that answer your question? Um, yes, it does. Um, yeah, it's just that I've been studying a lot on this controversy and I was just wondering what it has to do with um, what you're doing. Um, yeah, it was just a question I wanted to straighten out in my own mind. Ruth, so I can thank you so much for your call. And uh, perhaps it is a different dimension to what we're talking about uh, with the state of politics and where Christians stand. Uh, it is one of those, I guess you might call it, internal disputes. It's a polemic debate within uh, Christian churches and where people stand. And you know what? Some of those are absolutely necessary too because we're all working through, aren't we, where we sit and where we stand and what we believe and how we'll act according to the Scriptures. And sometimes the best way to get thinking about those is to actually engage in a little controversy. So you've got those 
internal debates that we'd call polemic debates. And then you've got those apologetic debates, a defense for our faith. And I suspect that if you're looking for clarity on where you might be thinking about Christians and the way we discuss politics, it's in this apologetic debate rather than something that's an internal rift within churches. Dave, any thoughts just to add on to that? We're about to go to news. Yeah, look, uh, just briefly, the uh, I mean, it's it's fair to put the conference in a pigeonhole that it doesn't seek to be in and tries not to be in, but still there's a a natural settling in right-wing conservative philosophy. Uh, But I'm the first to teach, and, and I want the constant theme to be we have to be very comfortable with listening to people who disagree with us, uh, finding uh, you know a point of commonality so we can have a conversation. Sometimes it's really, really productive to listen to somebody who is wrong so that you can better understand their arguments and better persuade people. Because if you understand their arguments better than they do, then you've got a really good chance of persuading them of truth. But uh, we don't try to be right-wing. We don't try to be Christian. We try to be Bible-based. We try to be gospel-focused. We try to be Christian. Uh, and, and that's our identity. Dave, uh, I know you are always looking to engage with those Christians who are going to be at that lordship level and prepared to start to understand uh, where faith and politics intersects. And uh, you're even wanting to offer a discount for listeners to our conversation today. Uh, Just give us your insight here and how that might work. Yeah, look, uh, I'm even offering free tickets to those people who genuinely can't afford to come to the Coffs Harbour Conference this Saturday. Uh, they just need to shoot me an email. and you can All the details are on the website. Uh, if you go there and click on the link to Coffs Harbour, you'll see the email address. Um, it's churchandstate.com.au. Uh, ask for a discount and uh, ask for a free ticket if you've been affected by uh, mandates and lost your job. Um, you know, so I, I want to honour that. It's also a huge step of faith. If anybody wants to donate to help me pay for those, we are with days to go, thousands of dollars behind break even. Um, but God's our provider, and it'll be all totally okay. So please do ask um, if if you'd like to come along. I would hate for you to miss out simply because you can't afford to. Uh, but for everybody else, um, there's still a ten percent discount available just by uh, mentioning. The unique Vision Radio code, which is Vision One Zero. Okay, Vision One Zero. Uh, when you are registering for the Church and State Summit at churchandstate.com.au. Dave, let's come back to your theme. Uh, you've got Jesus is Lord. Uh, we're talking about Jesus is Lord. Sometimes we'll say Jesus is King. Uh, isn't he the one who's referred to as the King of Kings, the highest King? Correct. The Lord of Lords, the highest Lord. And when we talk King and Kingdom, and this is an interesting perspective that listeners will somehow, I think, catch on to, is the thought that sometimes we think of Kingdom. Uh, we're thinking of the Disney kingdom, you know, where you're watching a Disney movie and you see a wonderful castle and some and some flags flying. Uh, but the kingdom of God is not a fairy tale kingdom. The kingdom of God is the real McCoy. And as soon as you say king, you're actually talking about a political expression. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, in understanding the kingdom, uh, you know the. There's, there's a fear sometimes amongst Christians, which is very immature, forgive me if I'm describing you, uh, but certainly amongst radical secularists that church and state should be separated. Uh, but let's go to the Bible 
and what does Jesus, the Word of God, say? Uh, and he says, obviously, all of those things that we're talking about now, all of those political titles that he's got, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, uh, the government shall be upon his shoulders, You know, his law and his commands, his will and his ways. Uh, these are all things that we need to submit to and cooperate with. But the same word of God also says that he has created governing authorities and uh, given them the sword so they may punish the wrongdoer and also reward the good. So uh, the, the concept and the notion and the doctrine of the kingdom of God is not an either-or with civil authority, civil human authority here on earth. And it's not an, an invitation or a recipe for e the ecclesia to rule. It's not an ecclesiocracy um, for, for church governments to be civil governments. I, I do believe they should be separate. But that does not mean separation of politics and religion. In fact, uh, explained to the libertarian audience, religion deals with two things. One, your relationship with God and two, your relationship with each other. And constitutions and laws and governments, parliaments and policies deal with one of those, and that is your relationship with each other. It's all about how do we manage a, a society of people who live in proximity to each other in community and, and connectivity. And so religion, which informs how we should live together, uh, you know, Jesus essentially referred this to reduce this to two things as well. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, that's essentially religion, good Christianity, reduced down to two things. And politics deals with how do we live with our neighbors. And so, you know, the kingdom of God is incredibly instructive on the best possible public policy. You know, when we talk kingdom of God, and let's apply this to our current status, uh, we live in a democracy here in Australia. And earlier we described there's some fabulous foundations that are in place that founded Australia on a Christian foundation. But some of us will be able to see uh, some of that uh, disappearing through our fingers like sand. And uh, some of those influential points some of the reference to the lordship of Christ in a democracy like Australia, we can see some of that disappearing. And we know that there's going to be consequences of choosing a different way other than the lordship of Christ. And sometimes what I describe is like a transcendent reality uh, over what happens here uh, imminently uh, in our own sphere. But you've been been looking at uh, you know what the wisdom is from the ages on how uh, we think about democracy and our freedoms. Uh, give us some thoughts here on, on on some of the things you've been looking at, Dave. Uh, one of the things that is very instructive is is looking at the deliberations of the American Constitutional Convention, uh, which went on for for some months. Uh, and and they um, you know they had various people with degrees of of different affection for God and and probably the the least pious the least righteous and least Christian of them all was uh, Benjamin Franklin and and he he actually said this that only a virtuous people are capable of freedom and and this was at a point where they were basically debating they didn't even know yet what their constitution would look like this was the the conference to actually thrash it out the on the table 
for discussion, one of the options was monarchy. And and the question was, will we have a monarchy or, or will we have a republic? And, and what will the constitution look like? And, and what will it all be? And essentially, the founding fathers of America came to the conclusion that the the moral journey of the American people, uh, thanks to some really great evangelical preaching um, and, and Christian foundations prior to that, but they had enough revival and renewal in their nation before that point. They came to a point where the virtue of the citizens was enough that they believed they were ready for self-government. And this is why it's called the Great American Experiment, is because never before had a people actually said, uh, we need government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, Abraham Lincoln um, described it like that, but he didn't. Uh, he was like uh, the 10th or 14th president. He was, uh, he was a ways away from the founding of, of America, and he described that. But when he described that, he was actually hearkening back to a, a preacher in England, um, John Whitcliffe. John Wycliffe was the first to use that phrase. And in translating the Bible, he said, this Bible shall be for the purpose of government by the people and for the people and of the people. And he was talking about the word of God, the morality of Christianity, the virtue of religion is what enables and prepares people for self-government or freedom or democracy. And so whatever, whenever the American founding fathers are talking about the American Constitution, you can easily replace the word democracy or even Australia. Uh, and and when Benjamin Franklin came out of one of these meetings at the conference, a, a lady came to him and said, well, doctor, uh, do we have, what is it? Do we have a republic or a monarchy? And his answer to her uh, was, was very interesting. He said, of course, we know the history is they have a republic. But he said, madam, we have a republic if you can keep it. And what he was referring to was the virtue which qualifies the people to maintain a republic. And when that diminishes, when the virtue of the nation and the population diminishes, then they will be less qualified for and capable of self-government. The virtues of the people, what we're talking about here is the values that people hold. And while we can see so much change going on, such change uh, that we talk about, uh, you know, an eclipse, uh, there's a change that's taking over. It is uh, the way that uh, the things that we might as Christians see as very bad uh, values, eclipsing those things which were very good virtues, uh, good becoming evil, evil becoming good. Uh, we've lost a track of what is good and right. This actually is something that we actually will uh, will have to, uh, in, in some sense, blame ourselves, our own generation, for perhaps losing some of that. Uh, when you've got a conference like yours, Dave, you're looking to say, how do you get back those values? You can't do it without the people following in behind and saying, this is what we believe. This is the lordship that we ourselves uh, will follow. Yep. Uh, this, is, this is the interesting thing. Virtue is now, these days, up for grabs. Uh, what's good for you? Uh, what's good for me? They might look completely different. Yeah, and of course, you have virtue signaling, which is false virtue. Um, but, you know, France had a revolution around the same time in history as America did. 
but the result was vastly different. America's constitution still stands, and it may be the oldest constitution, the oldest continuing constitution in the world. Interestingly, interestingly, Australia's, which borrowed heavily from America's, uh, is one of the 10 oldest. Even though our federation is only 124 years old, um, our constitution, being that age and continuing intact that time, uh, actually is one of the 10 oldest constitutions in the world. And of course, uh, there's a really, really great uh, you know, the, the, what I was going to say, sorry, is talking about the French Revolution. Alexis de Tocqueville was a political philosopher and coming from France, not in the least bit religious, and he went to America to try and figure out how they got democracy so great after France got it so bad. And to this day, uh, the French Republic has had dozens of constitutions since their revolution. I mean, it's, it's a manifest failure in democracy. And, and that's easily because they had a... a a bloodshed spectacle of guillotines killing not only aristocrats and not only academics, but clergy. They they thoroughly rejected the gospel, the kingdom of God and the preachers of the gospel. Uh, but Alexis de Tocqueville coming to America, doing a long and extended tour of America, even going into the prisons to figure out what do they do differently. He went into every corner of American society, studied it as a political philosopher and wrote uh, two volumes of a work called Democracy in America. And there's a quote which is misattributed to him, but it is a very apt summary of of the sentiment that he expressed in that work. And Alexis de Tocqueville says, Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. I think even if we were delving a little more deeply into uh, some of those thoughts from Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, just from memory, uh, he in fact first started to see that women were very different in America from the women that he could see in France. And there might be all sorts of controversy there over the Catholic foundations that he was coming from in France uh, to an exploration of the Protestant foundations that he was seeing in America. And he could see that women were flourishing under those Protestant foundations. Now, Mm. this is not an argument today over Catholic versus Protestant, except to say that an applied biblical foundation actually changes lives actually creates virtue, and it's the sort of virtue that you're talking about here, Dave, that is necessary for a functioning democracy. Because, as you're intimating here, democracy doesn't work without biblical virtue. So if we're losing our biblical virtues, we're actually headed for really bad consequences in the long run. Well, it comes back to the same conversation we had in the last half hour, which was the difference between Saviour and Lord. It's certainly not a difference between Protestant and Catholic. Because in Protestant England, around the same time, uh, you had the Church of England utterly corrupt, utterly corrupt. This is the time of William Wilberforce, where where he was uh, before the Victorian era, but the era he was in was worse than the morality of modern the modern West. Uh, vice was a competition amongst the aristocrats, and even young Wilberforce was one of these people where 
where the the upper class and I guess all of England would regularly compete in how drunk they could get on the weekend, who could get the, the, the blindest, who could bed the most prostitutes, who could gamble away the most of their fortune. There was absolutely no restraint on their vice. One in four women in the days of William Wilberforce, in the early days of Wilberforce, were prostitutes with an average age of 16. And in that hedonistic Christian England, uh, the message had to come through that Jesus isn't just our identity as our Savior. He is our Lord, and we need to submit to his will and his ways, and we need to promote virtue. And Wilberforce didn't just promote the abolition of slavery. He promoted virtue and the reformation of manners, to put it in, in his word, basically meaning morality. And and that cultural movement, which took a generation to take effect, we must have some vision and some stamina for this mission. Uh, but he ushered in an era of culture in England that is now seen as excessive in morality and propriety, called the Victorian era. Uh, this is the mission before us, and it is possible to bring about a cultural, spiritual, political reformation that returns us to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But it is our job. When we have a conversation like this, it's easy to think you make a prescription for one thing that will just make everything right. And I know you'll agree that uh, talking about one dimension isn't enough. I like to talk to people who say the only way out of the predicaments that we're deeply uh, moving into, this miry clay, uh, is that revival is necessary. And that's a revival of the heart. Uh, for people, perhaps it's a discovery of that lordship of Christ that we're talking about uh, that will actually make the hugest change. In all of that, you've got to have people who are attuned to how the politics works when the virtue of the people changes at a time of revival. And in order to make that happen, you've got to have a media that is also able to reflect the deeper and more spiritual aspects of what brings change. And so sometimes we talk about, you know, what happens with Vision Radio and uh, wonderful to be able to talk to listeners all over Australia on this platform today. But it's not the only platform either. There's internet platforms now and uh, you've also been the founder of the good source uh, quick uh, time is running out but uh, the good source how are things going with uh, with your online channel there dave uh, look, it's uh, my personal show is in a hiatus. Uh, you'd call it a summer hiatus, I guess, because I, I take December, January, February off. Basically, it's Christmas and then it's preparation for Church and State Summit. Uh, so we're publishing um, and trying to – essentially, we've got uh, some volunteers on board. We're trying to find exactly the right mix to, to get a good consistency um, with, with publishing right-thinking uh, articles and shows there. Um, you know, another media platform that I think is is really exciting, and and maybe it's not on many people's radar yet, um, is ADH TV. Um, they've actually, um, you'll be excited to know, Neil. They've actually approached me and said, "Can we put church and state conference and summit? You know, what you're doing throughout the year, all of it. Can we put it on our channel? Uh, this is the channel that Alan Jones has um, been the the leader of." Um, and they've got various independent people on there, and you don't need to like everybody on it. The, the point is that, um, like Vision Radio, and, and then certainly not overtly Christian, uh, like Vision Radio is, but um, you know, like the Good Source is, but with a whole lot more money, uh, they're they've 
established a platform with a very large audience and they're wanting to, you know, I'm excited about this. So, you know, if listeners can pray for for the blessing in that because this gospel um, will be taken to more of the nation uh, because I mean, it's this is we're talking unapologetic preaching at the church and state summit and they want to put it on their channel because it's political and culturally relevant and speaking directly as the prophetic voice of the church to society as uh, i've been hearing commentators say when there is change, uh, when a woke culture deepens and takes over in some sense, there will be an alternative and there'll be a division. And in order to emerge from that woke culture, there has to be all sorts of different media and summits and there has to be people thinking differently about how things move forward from a, such a time as this because we might even assume well woke culture woke culture uh, will in fact fail and uh, what's, what's on the other side of that has to be a foundation that is in place to actually uh, blossom and emerge uh, bringing those virtues mm. bringing that lordship of Christ Dave Pellow is the founder of the Church and State Summits uh, let me just say, 3rd and 4th of March in Brisbane, and uh, the venue will be in the suburb Eight Mile Plains in Brisbane. And as you book your ticket for that, uh, you'll be able to uh, access where that summit is going to be. Uh, there is, in fact, a 10% discount that Dave's offering to Vision listeners today for our conversation. Vision 1-0. Vision 1-0. So if you are booking a ticket for your seat at the Church and State Summit, Vision 1-0. Use that code in the checkout. Dave, always insightful, getting your uh, thoughts, uh, getting your feelings, getting that sort of spirituality. Uh, you're just uh, a breath of fresh air in some of the uh, the stale stuff that you'll find in mainstream uh, media. So thank you so much for taking some time. Not on your show, time. Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Hey, uh, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you, sir. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.